The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Grant Almighty God that we who have been redeemed from the old life of sin by our baptism into death and the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, may be renewed in your Holy Spirit and live in righteousness and true holiness through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Uh, let me just say welcome to everybody today, especially to those of you who are here on your Confirmation Sunday. And um, before we begin and I turn things over to the bishop, I just want to say welcome to those of you who come to us by way of St. Michael's. We are delighted to have you with us today as well in our sister parish. Um, let me just um, say one word of thanks um, to two men in particular, um, to Mr. Al Phillips And I really should say to Al Phillips et al, because it's, it's really his entire family who, who's involved in this, his sister, his wife, everybody. But I think most of you probably know Al Phillips' confirmation class is legendary in the city of Charleston. It's one of the first things that I heard about when I arrived at St. Phillips. And uh, uh, we hired a new director of children's education, as you know, uh, Amy Watson-Smith. Uh, and when she came over here, she decided that she really ought to get a sense of what's going on in the life of the parish. And so she decided to go one Sunday to confirmation class. And when she walked into the tea garden, she saw a student stretched out on the table, another with a hammer in his hand and another with nails. <laughs> and Al turned to her and he said, Amy, this is not a good Sunday. <laughs> Uh, he is so creative in his ability to do it. It's really remarkable. And so, Al, I just want to say thank you for years of service that you put into this. And um, <laughs> this is a genuine labor of love, and he makes sure that the kids get to cotillion. They have makeup classes. It's really a Christian ministry, and I just want to thank him. I want to thank the entire Phillips family for their hard work, everything they put into it. And I want to thank the Reverend Andrew O'Dell, who taught the adult confirmation class this year as well. Andrew went into his last class, and as I understand, was accosted by two of his students, adults, who came to him and said, we just want you to know that this class cannot end. So that just goes to show you that we have some very gifted teachers in the life of this parish, and we are so blessed. And to you young people, we are so thrilled to have you here today. This is a big day in your life, and uh, we are delighted. We've been praying for you for some time, and we will continue to do that. So welcome on this big day, and to all of you. And now I'll turn it over to the Bishop of South Carolina, Bishop Lawrence, please. Thank you. Is this on? Doesn't sound like it. Is it? Yes, it is. Excellent. Okay. Well, let's launch into this. And when do I stop? Promptly at, yes, 10.15. 10.15. Is that clock correct back there? It's a little slow. Okay. So I've just noted it's a little slow. That's fine. Hopefully I will not be. Confirmation. There are three actors in this drama that we have uh, today. 
There are the confirmands, each of them as individuals. There is the bishop, and there is God the Holy Spirit. For a sacrament of confirmation is all often referred to as the sacrament of the Holy Spirit, the sacrament of the Holy Ghost. In fact, when Roman Catholics are confirmed, they're asked the question, do you believe in the Holy Spirit that came upon the disciples on the day of Pentecost and today comes upon you in the sacrament of confirmation? Let's talk about uh, the uh, confirmand's uh, role first. What do you bring to this drama? Well, we might say you bring yourselves, your body, mind, and spirit. But there are two vows that you are affirming or reaffirming in your life and you're doing it publicly, right? You probably have talked about these vows. Those of you who were baptized as infants, somebody made them for you. There are the, the vows that you reaffirm of renunciation and there are the vows that you reaffirm of uh, affirmation. The vows of renunciation go like this. Do you reaffirm uh, your renunciation of evil? But what is that evil that you have renounced? The old prayer books used to call it the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? And the way it is in, in the uh, current prayer book is, do you renounce Satan? and all the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God. A lot of times people think in the spiritual world it's all good. But in the spiritual world, just as in the physical world, there is this perpetual battle of good and evil. And we have spiritual enemies that seek to destroy and defeat, distract, divide, and conquer us. You have an enemy who is very clever at either one, keeping you from ever recognizing his existence, or if he cannot keep you from recognizing his existence, he will make you obsessed with finding him behind every rock and every corner. And then you're, all your attention is there. But the first thing you need to recognize is you have, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in high places spiritual reality that we renounce. You say, where do you come across that, Bishop? Well, I'll give you one. Well, maybe you don't have this anyway because most people don't read newspapers anymore. But there used to be in the newspapers a horoscope section. And it's almost impossible, once you've read it once, to kind of want to see, oh, what's in my horoscope for today? And suddenly, you're letting some astrological configuration of stars determine how you approach the day. That puts you under bondage, puts you under spiritual bondage, puts you dependent upon something that God has set you free from. See, those kinds of fears, those kinds of bondages. Sometimes, I used to say, you know, there are more Christians that read their horoscope every day than read their Bible. That's really sad. 
and they put themselves in a form, under a form of spiritual evil, spiritual bondage. I could go on to talk about all kinds, but I don't have time because I have to end at 10.15, so let's move on. <laughs> the second thing you renounce is the evil powers of this world which corrupt and destroy the, the creatures of God. And I usually say when I used to prepare parents uh, and godparents for baptizing uh, the, uh, the child that they're presented, and usually the child is an infant, and he or she, like you, once sat upon their laps. And as I looked across at him, I said, you know the first place that Elizabeth will experience the evil powers of this world which corrupt and destroy the uh, children of God? One of the first places she'll encounter them? Or Edwin? I know Edwin experienced it. He was on the playground. He was about maybe four years old. And he's having a good time on the swing, or maybe it's the monkey bars. And some boy that he doesn't know very well, but he sees once in a while around the neighborhood, says, hey, let's go over there and jump off that bridge into the river. And Edwin says, my mother doesn't allow me to do that. And my dad will make me, uh, put me in big trouble. And he said, oh, what did they know about that? Are you a sissy? Are you a coward? And suddenly he felt the powers of this world to corrupt and destroy the God-given authority that he's been living under and push the envelope of life. And that doesn't end after you graduate from middle school or high school, every one of these adults live with it every day. Because somebody's always got something that they want. We had a birthday party for, for uh, uh, one of our grandchildren last night. And he has two other brothers. And the younger brother, when they brought out uh, Maui, the demigod from, what is it, Moana? You've seen that movie, Moana? Well, my, my wife got uh, the middle son, a grandson, uh, a Maui uh, little figure that you push a button and he speaks things, you know. And the two-year-old, as soon as he saw it, screamed out at the top of his lungs, that's mine! <laughs> I mean, it was just vicious, violent. I'm getting that. That's mine. And I thought, you know, that's primal. That was just barbaric, primal desire for something that he saw someone else have. And, you know, I hate to say it, but a lot of these adults sometimes see something that somebody else has. And they don't say it, but they think, that's mine. I want that. Pretty soon we're running after things and more things and more things and one more remodeling of the house, and one more thing that we buy, and if we just get that, then we'll be happy. And we get it, and it never satisfies. And part of the evil powers of this world which corrupt and destroy our lives. And sometimes what we yearn for and go after is success, and we get to the very top of the ladder, 
and find it's leaning against the wrong wall. It doesn't satisfy. And, and we as adults have sacrificed our marriages, our children, and the relationships of our family to get to the top of that ladder. And we've had powers of this world which have corrupted and destroyed a child of God. Just remember that as you start moving through your life. Because the world's going to say, you've got to get through this, and you've got to get into the right school, and you get into the right school, and then you can get the right job, and then you get the right job, and then you can get the right house. You get the right house, and you can get the right boat. And then you can get the right boat, and you get the, the, the right location. And then you get the other location. And then you get the other location. And then you're going to be happy. And everything is sacrificed along the way for something that you get to the end of your life, and it's empty. And relationships are ruined. And children aren't speaking to you. You don't know your grandchildren. And you don't know what life's all about. And you thought, maybe I need to go back to God. Because it doesn't satisfy. The powers of this world, which corrupt and destroy the creatures of God. And what you're saying today is, I renounce them. And you've got to do it every day. And then, when you were a little baby sitting on mama's lap or your godparent's lap. And I say, then, godparent or mother, you're going to renounce the evil desires of her heart or his heart that keep you from the love of God. And you look like a cherubim <laughs> when you were sitting on their lap. And in fact, they probably looked over it at whoever was preparing them for the baptism that vows that they were going to make on your behalf. And they thought, this little child doesn't have any sin in her or him, does he? She? And I used to say, I don't know this child at all, but this much I know about her or him. She or he thinks he is the center of the world. And if he's uncomfortable, the diaper's wet, or kind of hungry, or kind of sleepy, you as a parent ought to stop everything you're doing right now and tend to that need. And we'll scream, and the human condition is such that we cannot stand the screaming of a child without doing something about it. <laughs> And when the child is two months old, we understand. And we adapt to the fact that the, uh, that the child thinks it's the center of the world. And when the child is two years old, and we're trying still to adjust to it. And when the child is 12 years old and still thinks he or she is the center of the world, the family ain't fun to be around. And if he's 22, you don't want him coming home for Christmas. And if they're 32 and you're married to them, nobody's happy. And they're 72, put them in a personal care home as soon as you can. Let somebody else have to deal with them. <laughs> you know what I talk about, Miss M. You got it. You got the point. Yeah. 
<laughs> no, but she's had to do it to somebody. That's what I'm telling you. So here's the reality. There's only one person that can be the center of your life and it won't destroy them. And that is the one who is the center of the universe, Jesus Christ himself, who made all things for his glory. So we renounce the desires of this world that draw us away from the love of God. I like what Dwight Moody used to say. He said he had more trouble with Dwight Moody than any other man he knows. And I have more trouble with Mark Lawrence than anybody else I know, and so does my wife. <laughs> so the th third thing you're renouncing is the sinful desires of your own heart that always pull against the love of God. And three things you put on. Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. You put your whole trust in his faith and love. And you promise to follow him as your Savior and Lord. Those three things you reaffirm. And I bet Mr. Al's gone over those things. All right. So that's what you all do. What do I do? I do five things to you with my hands. I'm going to go through these quickly. First thing I do is I put my hands on your forehead as you're kneeling. And I have you heard these things? And I press down kind of hard so you feel the weight of the ages. 2,000 years of Christian history pressed upon your forehead. And I pray you see in your mind's eye while I'm doing that, standing behind me, I'll be in a chair on that uh, top of the steps of the chancel. I'll be in a chair there. You'll be kneeling on a step. I pray you see in your mind's eye, standing behind me, I'm the 14th Bishop of South Carolina, standing behind me with his hand on my shoulders, is Bishop Ed Salmon, 13th Bishop of South Carolina. He's got his hand on my shoulder, spiritually speaking. Any of you know Bishop Salmon? Did any of you know him? Okay, some of you have known him. Standing behind him with his hand on Bishop Salmon's shoulders, Bishop Fitzsimmons Allison, the 12th Bishop of South Carolina, still lives up in Georgetown. Any of you know him? All right, very good. Standing behind him with his hand on his shoulders, 11th Bishop of South Carolina, Bishop Gray Temple. Any of you know him? Oh, look at this. All the way back to Bishop Smith, the first bishop of South Carolina. Did you know him? <laughs> He's buried right under the church. Right? You didn't know him? He was buried there. Down he went. Okay, well, anyway, we all go down. Well, anyway, okay, then we go up. Well, let's go back, though. So, behind him with his hand on Bishop Smith's shoulders, Bishop of London, who first sent priests here to this colony of South Carolina. And standing behind him with his hand on his shoulders, Archbishop of Canterbury, who enthroned the Bishop of London as the Bishop of London, all the way back to Peter and Andrew, James and John. And in the midst of them, the risen Lord Jesus Christ himself, who said, go into all the world even Charleston, South Carolina, and make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the ages. 
So all of that's happening when my hands are pressed upon your forehead. And I take some oil in my hand. Some right here. Represents the Holy Spirit's presence. And I make the sign of the cross on your forehead to remind you of what it costs God to make you his child. You know, the gospel is free, but it's not cheap. It costs the only son of God his life, bearing our sins upon the cross. We may come back to that. Then I raise my hand like this, and I invoke the Spirit of God to come upon you. You know, the, the Bible uses three prepositions. Jesus used three prepositions to describe the relationship of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Bowen, do you know the definition of a preposition? <laughs> Oliver knows it. Okay, well, that's okay. I'll buy that. I put it this way. What are you going to propose? Okay, well, I would put it this way. That I'll I'll buy that, but I'm going to give you a fuller definition. If you if you're asked this tomorrow in a test at school, you'll get an A plus. A preposition is a word that comes before a noun or a pronoun in a sentence to describe the relationship of that noun or pronoun to another noun or pronoun in the sentence. Any English teachers here? How'd I do? A word that comes before a noun or a pronoun in a sentence to describe the relationship of that noun or pronoun to another noun or pronoun in the sentence. So Jesus said... I'm going away, but I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you comfortless. But I'll give you another pronoun. I'll give you another. Like unto myself pronoun. Even the spirit of truth noun that the world cannot receive, but you will receive, because he will be with you, preposition, in you, preposition. He's saying the Holy Spirit will be with us. Holy Spirit will be in us. Later, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, preposition. Within, upon. He's with us to guide us. You ever been scared? You ever been shaken to the core of your being? Ever feel all alone? No place to turn? Any of you ever go to a new school and you walk into the classroom for the first time and you don't know a soul? Don't know anybody's name. Teacher asks you to stand up and say your name and where you're from. Then there's recess. Everybody goes out and plays by themselves, and you're alone. And then there's lunch. Oh, that's really scary. Walk into some cafeteria, and you don't know a soul. Sit down and eat by yourself. 
Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to give you another, just like me, who will be with you. In those times when you're alone, when you're fearful, when you're brokenhearted, when your girlfriend just went for some other guy, or the guy you like just went for some other girl, who's going to be with you? I'll be with you. And he said, in you. Why in? If he's with, why in? You know God's biggest problem with us? Doesn't matter how old you are, God's biggest problem with you is your heart. Because what your heart desires and yearns after meditates upon, sooner or later your will is going to choose it. And once your will has chosen what your heart desired, your mind will go to work to justify what the heart desired and the will chose. So the thing is, God's got to transform the heart. The Bible talks about being born again. It means God transforming the heart from within. A lifelong process. You can make all kinds of vows with your head. But if the heart is not regenerated, if the heart is not transformed, it will always go after the wrong thing. And ends empty. So the Holy Spirit's going to be in you to transform you. And your task is to allow that to take place and cooperate. And one of the ways he does that is through his word and through the sacrament and fellowship with other believers and the Holy Spirit indwelling you. Then he says you still receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We'll come back to that later. So that's the third thing I do. Invoke the Holy Spirit. Then Take your face in my hands, and I want to see you the way God sees you. To see you the way God sees you. Well, I can't do that. But I can at least go through the motions. But he does. You know, there's all kinds of people in this world who will see you through your mistakes, your failures, your defeats, your stupidities, and your foolishness. You know that? You know how I know that? I'm married. I've been married for some 43 years, going on 44 this year. And there's times my dear wife, Allison, and I will get in, a, in an argument, or just a dispute. <laughs> we'll get in an argument, and we're exchanging who's to blame. You ever hear your parents do that? Don't talk. About it. <laughs> the argument's going on back and forth. And then I'll bring something out of the past. Because I'm against the ropes, you know. I'm against the ropes in this argument. I know I'm in the wrong. So you got to reach back for something where they did something really bad. You reach back and you grab it and you throw it up there. Take that! It doesn't matter that I said I forgave her 10 years ago for it. It doesn't matter if it's supposed to be buried. 
I brought it up today, right out of the past. Gosh, can you imagine someone doing that? You've never done that to a brother or sister, have you? Yes? Oh, Oliver, you're an, you're an honest man. I like an honest man. You, okay, to your sister. Yeah, I, I believe you. Sometimes they deserve it, don't they? I don't. Okay. Well, let me say something about God. He doesn't do that. The Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our sins from us. That's why I moved from California to South Carolina. <laughs> the Bible says he will take our sins and sink them in the depths of the ocean. And then he puts a sign on the shoreline, no fishing allowed. Right there on the pier, no fishing allowed. Not even by you. So God puts it all in the past and buries it. But we have a spiritual enemy. The Bible calls him Satan. You know the name Satan, you know what it means, literally? Literally means the accuser, the accuser of God's people. He loves to accuse us. Some of you adults being confirmed today, you may have someone whisper in your ear, and it's not your spouse. Who are you to may be making this kind of commitment to God? You know what kind of person you've been. He may have forgiven other people, but he's not going to forgive you that. Doesn't matter if you've confessed it. I'm going to hold it over your head. And to that you say, get me behind me, Satan. For you speak like man, not like God. He's buried into the depths of the sea. I'm forgiven. O Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What do we say? Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. O Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. Grant us thy peace. That comes from the Holy Spirit. And then I'll give you a slight slap on the cheek. The ladies, it'll just be a little tap. <laughs> just real. Some of you guys may need a good one. I don't know. <laughs> kind of look at you and say, what does this guy need? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, sometimes I see them, you know, brace themselves as if I'm just going to whack them a really good one. I've only done that to one or two <laughs> who I knew real well. So most of them, just, just to remind you, this world is not a friend to the grace of God, but the grace of God in you is the best friend this world has. When it curses, we bless. When it resents, we forgive. When it persecutes, we rejoice. Okay? So those are the five things I do. Those things you do, those things I do, then what does he do? The Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit, by the way? Boy, that Oliver, he's one bright kid. All right, Oliver, let, let it loose, let it fly. Who's the, the Holy Spirit? Spirit? It's exactly like God. It's um, one of the three um, things of God. There's the Son, the Holy Spirit, which is um, what came down to earth to represent that um, the soul out of God has been made up into this actual soul. Okay, well, let's put it this way. <laughs> That's pretty good. Except for 
He is God. Well, actually, the Holy Spirit is God, but God's not the Holy Spirit. You say, what are you talking about, Bishop? The Holy Spirit is God, but God is not the Holy Spirit. God is not the Holy Spirit because he's more than the Holy Spirit. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But here's a simple way to understand the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Everything that Jesus did when he walked this earth. And what did he do? Let's name them. Let's name a few things that Jesus did when Jesus, as the Messiah, walked this earth. Yes. Turned water into wine. He did miracles. Next Okay, he fed 5,000 with a few loaves and fishes. Oliver, once again. Okay, he healed. He healed the, the lame, the leper, the broken, the wounded, the outcast. Forgave the sinner. What else did he do? Adults, you can join in here. He raised some from the dead, and he, he himself was raised by the dead. What else? Who what else? He taught. He preached. He exhorted. He encouraged. He rebuked. He guided. He led. He empowered. Right? Do you know, Oliver, the Holy Spirit does all of those things today in the life of his people? And we're expecting him to come upon you and empower you to do what in your own power you cannot do? So I'm expecting him to show up. Sometimes when he shows up, you feel his presence. Sometimes you don't, sometimes you do. I remember praying for a, a young boy from a not very religious family who was being baptized at about the age of 11. And there's a time in the baptismal service that after you've baptized the person, you anoint them with oil and you lay your hand upon them and you pray for them. And after the service was over, I heard him talking to his mother. And he said, Mom. And he put his hand upon me and began to pray for me. I felt this thing like electricity just went right through me. He said, Mom, do you think that was God? I overhear him. I said, Jason, that was the Holy Spirit. And I think he showed up and did that because you don't go to church very often. And he just wanted you to know he's real. And he wants to be with you and in you. And there'll be those days he will come upon you. And it'll be like an electrical jolt going right through you. Really? I said, really? He does it all the time. So I can't guarantee you you'll feel anything. But I can guarantee you this. The Holy Spirit wants to get into your life. When I was about 23, I, I saw a movie called Sounder. Some of you may remember Sounder. It's about, uh, the Sounder was a, 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 a dog that was uh, 
in this African-American family that lived in 1930, Louisiana. And the whole movie was about this family. And one day they were coming from a, a, a sandlot baseball game. And they were walking home. And there was the mother and the uh, father and the, the little children. And there was a friend of the family named Hank who was strumming a guitar as they were walking along the road home from the baseball game. And they walked by this big, white, painted church. And the little boy said to his mother, Mama, what is that white church over there? Mama said, Why, honey, that's a white church for white people. What do they do in that white church, Mama? Why, honey, they do the same thing we do in our church. They praise the Lord. Well, Hank, the friend of the family, strumming the guitar, walking along the road, says, I was in a white church once down in Raw Parish in Louisiana. I was lucky to get out of that church alive. <laughs> Father of the family said, well, Hank, what'd you do when you got out of that church? He says, well, you know me. I got myself down on my knees and I said, Lord, I went into that church to praise you and I was lucky to get out of their life. Father of family says, well, Hank, what'd you do when you got out of the church? He says, you know me. I went in there to church, get, praise the Lord, and I was lucky to get out of their life. What'd the Lord say to you, Hank? He said, Hank, you're doing better than me because I've been trying to get in that church for 200 years and I ain't made it yet. <laughs> you know, the Lord, the Holy Spirit wants to get into our lives. And he looks for any creek or crevice, broken place, hurting place, vulnerable place, any insecurities, any fears we don't talk about, any things that we're deep down inside really are uh, worried about, he looks for those things. A place to get in. Because the Holy Spirit wants to be with us in all of life's challenges. He wants to be in us to transform us. And he wants to come upon us to empower us. And so that's why this whole service of confirmation is the sacrament of the Holy Spirit. For he makes all the things that you've heard about God, everything that you've heard from, from Mr. Al and the other teachers in this confirmation class, you know, have, are filed away somewhere deep inside of you. And if you're like me, I hope not, but if you're like me, once I'd gone through confirmation and got into high school, I put it all over here, and I had other things that I was pursuing, going after them. Got to win the state championship wrestling. As soon as I win that, then, then I'll follow God. 
You win that, and it's still way over here. So there's something else I got to get. Till the age of 21. And the Holy Spirit began to stir, and he brought me to faith in him. And then all those things that I put over here suddenly became vividly alive. Vividly alive. But you don't have to wait till you're 21. It can come, become vividly alive for you today. And these adults being confirmed, they might have been 80 years old before it happened to them. But he was trying to get in long ago. And for all of us, you know, confirmation is a service that all of us can renew for ourselves our vows made long ago and make them real today. For we renounce Satan and all the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God. All the evil powers of this world which corrupt and destroy us as children of God. All the sinful desires within us that draw us from the love of God, we renounce them. We turn to Jesus Christ and accept him as our Savior. Do you need a Savior? Sometimes we don't realize it. I was body surfing once in Redondo Beach in California. Young man in my 20s. I went out to body surf, and the waves were pretty strong that day. And I'd been out for about 20 minutes, and I still hadn't ridden a wave in. That should have told me something, you don't think? Huh? Uh, some people are kind of slow on the uptake. So I'm looking for 20 minutes. I'd been looking out to sea and waiting for one wave after another to come. And the wave would start coming, and I'd start swimming to catch it. And for some reason, I could just could never catch it. But since I was looking out to sea, I didn't realize how far out I was from the shoreline. And suddenly I looked out of the corner of my eye and I saw someone swimming up with a life preserver behind him. And I looked over on the other side and there was a guy with a life preserver on the other side. And then one of them yelled out, hey, buddy, do you know you're in a riptide? Well, as soon as he said that, for the first time all day, I, I looked towards the shoreline and I saw two things. There was a whole group of people lined up along the shoreline to see who the idiot was out there <laughs> in the ocean. The second thing I noticed is they were real small. <laughs> I was a half a mile out to sea, and I didn't know it. So he said, hey, buddy, do you know you're in a riptide? Well, no one wants to be a half mile out to sea and not know it. So I said, oh, yeah, I know I'm in it. <laughs> but I didn't. He says, do you know how to get out? I thought, no time to lie now. I said, no. I'll tell you, just in case you're ever in a riptide. He says, swim parallel with the shore until you're out of the pull of the rip. And then you can swim in. Good thing I didn't know I was in a riptide. I might have tried to swim in and, and exhausted myself. Sometimes you know sins are taking us away and we are in need of a Savior and we don't know it. Do you turn to Jesus Christ and accept him as your Savior? 
Yes. Do you put your whole trust in his grace and love? I do. Throw me a life preserver. Do you promise to follow him as your Savior and Lord? I do. So I hope you all can renew those uh, vows today and ask the Holy Spirit to come upon you. Boy, I'm right on time. How'd that happen? It is a miracle if you know anything about me. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask you in the name of Jesus that if in the mercy of Jesus there is anyone here today that needs a special touch that you would grant him or her that touch. If there are those who need to take it on faith, you who know the heart and the deep needs of the soul, grant them that faith. If there are those who need to to know that they are forgiven, grant them a special sense of your forgiving grace. If there are those who need courage, grant it. Those who need hope, bring it. Those who need the love of God poured into their hearts by the Holy Spirit, pray you'll do it. That the Father may be glorified, the Son may be honored, and the Holy Spirit recognized as alive in their lives. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.